0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. The Big Interview. Intriguing lives,
2: remarkable careers, and gripping stories. I'm Sonal Rupani alongside Chris McCarty and Robbie Greenfield.
1: Anthony is one of the world's leading documentary filmmakers. He's a pioneer in immersive storytelling, and he's been described as the man behind some of the most exciting advancements in virtual reality, 3D, augmented reality, and artificial intelligence storytelling. So he really is at the cutting edge. He's a passionate adopter of new technologies to such an extent that when he set up his company, Atlantic Productions, in 1992, just four years later, he became involved in his first virtual reality project in 1996 with the godfathers
2: of the technology so 1996 is when virtual reality see if you were to ask anyone out there they would not be saying 1996 for the time that virtual reality absolutely
1: and and he was explaining to me that the idea the concept behind it often outruns the actual technology so a little bit like smartphones the idea for a smartphone came out in in the early, I mean, mobile phones have been around since the 80s, but smartphones kind of came in in the the noughties. Mm. And, um, And then the technology kind of catches up with the concept and the ideas and what people want to do. So it's always trying to play catch up, and that's exactly what that's exactly the same with with uh, with virtual reality. But Anthony had a very traditional background. He joined the BBC in the 1980s. He never shirked from the firing line, literally in some instances, because as a young producer. He was actually almost killed by an improvised roadside explosive in Lebanon in 1986. He worked alongside the the journalist Edward Baer to become the first broadcaster to reveal the true extent of the Japanese emperor Michinomiyas Hirohito's involvement in World War II. Um, He worked with the late reporter uh, Marie Colvin, spent nearly a year living with Yasser Arafat for the 1990 documentary The Faces of Arafat. The man has had an extraordinary career. There's so many strings to his bow and he's been involved in so much. In 2017, Anthony Geffen was approached by none other than Mr. Stephen Hawking, oh. just shortly before he passed away. And they were working on a new virtual reality project. There's so many facets to this big interview upcoming with Anthony Geffen. He's worked on 11 projects and with Sir David Attenborough. So I had a curiosity <laughs> as to what that was like. A lot of people listening to this show will, uh, will love Sir David's work on, on his nature documentaries with the BBC. Stephen Hawking first approached Anthony in May of 2017. Near the end of his life in fact, and uh, he was actually a fan of the virtual reality work that that Anthony had done through his company Atlantic Productions in re- virtual reality storytelling and, and he was hoping they might collaborate on a new immersive project now drawing on his work on the second law of thermodynamics't don't, don't, a- don't ask me about <laughs> that on, but In particular, black holes, which, of course, Hawking became an authority on and did some groundbreaking research and discoveries on. He wanted Anthony to construct no less than a virtual tour of the universe with Hawking himself serving as a guide and narrator. And it had to feel real. Okay, you put the headset on and you're there. You're in, you're in you're, the universe. You're in the universe. So talk about ambitious. <laughs> now, this project is about to be launched to the public, and I asked Anthony to explain the background behind it.
0: What was fascinating about Hawking is that he can visualize using, or could visualize using physics, the universe. Uh, and this is this is a pretty incredible thing to be able to do, really, because it allowed us to build a, an ex- experience which will open hopefully this summer uh, where you sit in your own uh, seat and your feet are off the ground and then inside you put the headset on and uh, Stephen Hawking appears and this was his sort of journey he wanted people to go on you know he wanted uh, when he was gone he wanted this the journey he wanted to take people on and he takes you off literally across the universe built by his mind because he could work out you know the parameters and the physics of different planets and then he takes you through a black hole, which in itself is pretty extraordinary. Uh, and and then you come back. And the, since he's since he died um, a couple of years ago, it's really interesting because some new planets have been discovered. And when they looked at those planets, they found that that uh, they were almost identical to what he had visualized using his his sort of physics. So really extraordinary. I mean, uh, you're literally going to go off in on a journey through Stephen Hawking's mind. So I think it'll be certainly in. The- absolutely on the cutting edge of immersive storytelling location experiences
1: and this will be released you know as and when things open up it's been delayed because of the pandemic obviously and, and it was initially supposed to be a, a project that would that would pop up in, in public areas like shopping malls where you would be able to go and, and kind of whilst out for a shot, experience you would be able to go and have that experience and
2: you'd sit in, think,
1: the, sit in the seat you'd pop the headset yeah. on and you'd go off
2: on this journey because I think that's the question whenever we talk virtual reality it's, it's certainly a question I often ponder is at what point in the near future does it become the norm in people's households? You know, you've said there's shopping malls, cinema experiences, etc. At what point does virtual reality permeate into the living room. In the next couple of years. That's, that's, that's Anthony's message.
1: message. It's going to happen. He says, and we're going to hear how the pandemic has only accelerated this move into a, a virtual world. And, you know, in some instances, I've, I've kind of got thoughts on that. I think, you know, he is someone who has embraced technology. I am, as you well know, <laughs> uh, someone who, who, is, who is just allergic to change. <laughs> um, and I, I'm a little bit more sceptical. But listening to him, it's impossible not to get caught up in... Just the in- infectious enthusiasm that he has and the possibilities of this world. I had to ask him what it was like working with the great man Stephen Hawking.
0: By the time I was working with Stephen in the last two years of his life, his window for working was very short. You know it took him very many hours to get him you know up and ready, and then he'd come on in his wheelchair. So we'd only have windows sometimes of four hours in a day. But he was so interested in it that he really wanted to, you know make absolutely sure, Cause, you know, because in every detail, things were right about the journey. So we we would be building it, you know, in, in computer graphics. Uh, and he would be sort of saying, I don't think that's right. The perspective's not right. That's why I'm saying it's a sort of journey through his head. Uh, it's a complicated thing to build um, because we're using the latest technologies, the latest headsets, the latest everything. Um, but he loved that. He he. I think he thought this was possibly the opportunity to take a lot of the things he'd been saying for a long period of time, to a different audience, you know. Imagine a kid, that's the sort of the first time they go off and start thinking about the universe, and it's with Stephen Hawking. I mean, I can't think a better person ever to take you across the universe.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of an educational experience as well, being able to immerse yourself in it. I mean, I find it hard
2: to conceptualise what it would would be like. that's it. And that's what he's saying there, Anthony, that Stephen Hawking can do that. He can articulate exactly what it should look like and how it should feel. And that's why, that for me, he is an authoritative voice, is Stephen Hawking. That's why, sign me up for that. Just like if he's doing anything nature-related, sign me up if Sir David Attenborough is putting his name to it. For the mere mortal... A virtual tour of the universe is just so
1: difficult to grasp. And I I did ask Anthony, upon experiencing it, what aspect of the tour had he found the most mind boggling?
0: I think there are two things for me. One is the distances which we've had to relate because the distances are vast. So how do you relate those? You can't be in there for 10 hours waiting to go to the next planet. So the distances between the planet is a big thing. And then I think, to be honest with you, this this huge highlight of going through a black hole. You know, you really begin to understand what he was talking about in his in his papers, really, which are quite difficult for most people to understand. But, you know, how a black hole is so intricate to so many things that happened in the universe.
1: Let's go back to the beginning if we can, because this is at launching this summer. This is right on the cutting edge. This is the sort of the, the real vanguard of where this trend is going in filmmaking. But in 1992, Anthony set up Atlantic Productions, and that was to position himself at the, at the cutting edge of new technology when it comes to filmmaking and storytelling. So as I mentioned earlier, in 1996, he received backing to build his first ever virtual reality experience. And this involved a headset, quite rudimentary at the time. It was in the mid-90s. It was a specially built pod, and it was all centered around ancient Rome and the Circus Maximus. It was really crude by today's standards, but it was still way ahead of its time in in terms of the the kind of gaming experiences that were out there on kind of mass market products like the the PlayStation, for example, which had launched a couple of years earlier. So... I wanted the sort of full sweep. I wanted to know how his approach to new technology, and which most people, it's fair to say, are instinctively quite wary Absolutely. of, myself included, how that had helped shape his career evolution. Um,
0: yeah, that was a long time ago, and and I was working with the, literally with the founders of virtuality as they were as they were coming up with their ideas. You know, Ivan Sutherland and and various other brilliant scientists. But and and but I could see. I suppose one of the things is that I. I I've obviously told a lot of, you know, I spent 10 years at the BBC and then I built Atlantic as a group of companies to tell stories. But I, from a very early stage, kind of felt I went and spent some time at Pixar, thanks to Jobs. I went and spent some time in Industrial Art and Magic, thanks to George Lucas, all of whom were fascinated by some of the early documentaries we were making. So there was a good relationship. And I could see the world was changing. It wasn't, you know, digital worlds were happening uh, and we were going to be able to recreate almost anything we wanted to and suddenly there was a way through a computer of telling a story like toy story so that opened my mind and so i built a number of different companies all of which work together which is why attenborough got attracted by it because he was he loves new technology and he loves storytelling so he you know he came and joined us for nearly uh, seven or eight years and came out of retirement actually to do so and, and and did probably some of his most inventive films so far you know in 3d and virtual reality. And he loved it. You know, he's a, he's such an uh, incredible man. He's curious. So he's curious about new technology. But I've always been interested because I think technology is changing. And what I love about the new technology is we're moving, in my view, away from an era where we just call it the smartphone era to the immersive era. And that era will mean we wear things like goggles and headsets and things that actually we can all see our own world and have other things in it. And I can share things with you. That's a radical radical change, but how do you tell stories in that world? It's a different technology. So we're working with a lot of the top companies in the world right now in education, in health, and, and a whole range of other things to actually to actually work out. Because what that brings with it is a transformation for everybody. People who wouldn't have had access to various experiences will now experience it. What's it like to be underwater? I could fill your studio up right now with water, as it were, in a headset, and I could bring sharks into it. I mean, it changes the parameters. For me, what I like about it is it changes education. It means every kid can now get access to to to, to experiences. I'll give you an example. Uh, on uh, we scanned a few years ago the great the Great Pyramid, and we had put it in a supercomputer. We will release later this year an experience where kids will just hold up their phone or their tablet, and I can we can take them live into the pyramid. That means that any kid on the planet can now walk around the pyramid, and we can tell stories about the pyramid. You know, there's another experience which will come out this year, where you where you buy an egg, and that egg will hatch virtually, obviously, in a in a in an immersive space, and you will bring up a baby sauropod dinosaur for the next year, and it'll live with you in your space every time you. Pick up your phone, it'll be there. You have to feed it and look after
2: it. That is the 2021 Tamagotchi right there. <laughs>
1: it really oh is. Oh, my Lord. Yeah,
2: it mind really bone, is. Rob. I mean,
1: I can think of a future where you and I are both in this studio. We've both got headsets on and we can just program whatever we want to be experiencing. As he just said, that blew my mind. Sharks
2: just circling me like I'm in the Atlantis Aquarium. Oh, my Lord. It is. It's mind-blowing. It is. But again, I come back to it. This does blow my mind. But at what point? Is this five years, 10 years, 20 years, well, 25 years? Anthony, we'll get to that,
1: right? Well, I had to ask him, and, and you make a good point there. How has the pandemic impacted yeah. this? And it's had a seismic impact on every facet of our lives and every industry. I was curious to know whether forcing to embrace this virtual world had accelerated our journey towards this immersive future. And we actually get a little exclusive here that Anthony has never talked about before take a listen
0: there's no question that what has happened in the pandemic is increasing the speed at which immersive story talk. I mean people talk about the obvious though you can work, look in a vr headset and you can see a location you might want to choose on holiday that's really not what it's about that's great but it's just another form of uh, a tourist catalog i think that the sort of immersive story talk we're talking about is, is moving faster, because even when we come out of a pandemic, people have sort of changed, I think, some of their attitudes and some of their feelings uh, and the way they want to get content. And so, in fact, I think it's, it's sped it up and we've actually all our immersive experiences have sort of exploded, you know, where everyone could get a headset or, or anything else to view them or even a phone. But I think, you no, know, the a big change is coming. And I think, you know, when you see this new world, that it's difficult to talk about because unless you sort of see it, but you can interact in your own space or in another space with other people, and you can see things and move around things. That's, a, that's suddenly a very different thing. Not only that, we know that people learn four times faster in, in the immersive space than they do normally. So people are switched on to that space. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an example about what's going to happen. We've been burrowing away, obviously, during lockdown because there's been a huge demand. So we're bringing out, in a few weeks' time, and it hasn't really been announced yet, but I can certainly say it, we're bringing out probably the most cutting edge of its kind, AR experience, which we've been developing with David Attenborough. All you have to do is you go to the Apple Store, you download it, you hold up your phone, and worlds literally appear on your desk that you then can see. And you interact with those worlds with David Attenborough, as though the whole world that was not there suddenly has come to life and it's about past extinct creatures which you then engage in we're bringing it out much quicker because there's a huge demand around the the world for you know for, for you know, edu, ed, what i call edutainment which is you know entertaining people but educating at the same time and uh, that's why we're bringing out that app and uh, we're you know we're very excited about it it's going to have a global launch so anyone anywhere will be able to buy it or download it. And and I think people from that sort of experience will see a glimpse of what's coming. And guess what? Everybody pretty much has a a, a smartphone. So it's kind of cool that they'll all be able to download
1: it. Now, apparently that is all you need. He did, as we mentioned at the start of this show, he's worked on 11 groundbreaking projects with Sir David Attenborough. That's including a virtual tour of Australia's Great Barrier Reef and a a David Attenborough special at the Natural History Museum, Natural History Museum Alive, which was broadcast by Sky about seven years ago. The premise was very simple. Attenborough spends a night at the Natural History Museum and eight of the most fascinating extinct creatures are brought back to life as he wanders the corridors of the museum. And it was unlike anything that he'd ever been involved in before. I asked Anthony about Sir David's recent film, actually, A Life on Our Planet, which is what he calls his witness statement. What did he make of the message in this for the future of our planet and how David's own views on this had evolved over time?
0: It's a very, very powerful film. Funnily enough, it started on the last... uh film that I made with David, which was uh, in the Great Barrier Reef. Until then, David hadn't really, you know, he, he talked about, you know, problems, but not in the same way he does now. And at the end of the film, he did this piece literally saying, you know, the Great Barrier Reef isn't going to be here anymore if we don't do something about it. And then I put him together with Obama, uh, and they did an interview from the White House, which a huge number of people around the world watched. And that was the beginning, in a way, I think, of, of Attenborough realising, gosh, I've got a very important message that I've got to deliver for people. Uh, and I do agree with, with, you know, what he says. I think, you know, if we don't get all, you know, if we don't do things, there's going to be a serious crisis. And yes, there are things that we can do. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, you know, David is, is sort of in this incredible position where people globally listen to him, you know, and when he launched his Instagram page, I think it was the fastest growing Instagram page in history. Or something. You know, everybody everybody wants to connect with uh with David rightly he's he's a one off i mean i think people forget he's now 94 you know um and i think they expect this and that and everything else of david but 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 he's he's very important in 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 the message about climate change to everybody
1: yeah he's uh, as i said i i absolutely idolize sir mm. david's um He's such a huge part of my interest in, in the kind of natural world. But I wanted to know in that case what it was like to work with him and any anecdotes that Anthony could share that would just give us a little insight into his character.
0: We were filming something called Flying Monsters, which won a British Academy Award. Uh, it was the first film in 3D to do so, and it was very challenging, and we loved the, the challenge. It was a huge challenge. But we were discussing the script constantly, and we went to Lyme Regis, or we were going to just about to go to Lyme Regis and film a sequence with the biggest flying, sort of flying creature ever, which is Quetzalcoatlus, which lived a long, 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 long time ago, but it's the size of an aeroplane. And David sent me the part of the script going down that he was hanging on a hang glider and, and then came across this creature, which, of course, we would have seen the idea. So I, I rang the insurance company and said, you know, I, I don't think this is a good idea. And they said, there's no way we're going to... Uh, there's there's no way we're going to agree in insurance terms to allowing David Attenborough to be a 1,000 foot above Lyme Regis, you know, on a hand (laughs) glider. So I sent a message back to David, and I said, "Um, David, is there any other way we could do it? And he says, well, I think I could, what about if I did it in a glider? Do you think that's safe? But it sort of gives you the sense of, A, playfulness, and B, David pushing all the time. He was, you know, in his late 80s then. Anyway, we did do it. We did it in a hang glider with a pilot out of view. But but that gives you sort of something of the adventure.
1: Yeah, he's just he's brilliant. He, is he a to put himself Evergreen, yeah, he is 94 Evergreen. and he's just still active and, and still very busy uh, and still creating great, great programs as well. Um, I've got to move on now because one of the most remarkable films that Anthony has produced is surely a, a film called The Wildest Dream, Conquest of Everest. It's an award-winning film, and it charts the mountaineer George Mallory's attempt to be the first to climb the mountain in 1924. Now, as well as becoming one of the Atlantic Productions' first IMAX productions, Geffen employed actors to recreate Mallory's last days on the mountain in temperatures of minus 20 degrees centigrade. The resulting film was the highest altitude costume drama ever recorded, and Anthony was up there on Everest, just below the summit, doing the filming. No joke, I asked him to describe that experience.
0: What was what was really frightening is we were up there for months, and so we were in something called the death zone. And the thing about the death zone is you don't want to live there. You go in and you come out when you climb Everest. But because we were making a film and I was also shooting dramatised sequences and goodness knows what else, we had to live in the death zone. So you got into this state where it was just you were in another place, you know, where you stopped eating, you know, you didn't really sleep. You became a sort of zombie. And I remember the height of that was that I wanted to go and get ready to do some filming. And so someone said, well, keep going along the mountain until you hit green boots. And I said, okay, well, what's green boots? He said, when you get there, you'll know. So he walked along and there was a Czechoslovakian climber who, dis- you know, who stayed on the mountain. It was perfectly frozen. With his feet in the air. And that's great. And I suddenly thought, I'm now climbing Everest, you know, following dead bodies to get to the top. I mean, it was very surreal, Um, but incredible. I mean, incredible thing to do. Very difficult because I had to push everybody over three or four months to the limit, you know, their endurance, even the top climbers and even the Sherpas who were brilliant. Without the Sherpas, we wouldn't have done it. Um, but there was, a, there was additional technology. For example, I couldn't really see the mountain, obviously, and no helicopters can go to the top of the ma- mountain because of the altitude. So we, we scanned, we had a scan made from a satellite uh, and various other methods of Everest. And we recreated Everest exactly as it was so that we could do moves and things around so the audience could understand where we were, you know, wh- where we were on the mountain. But it's a, that, that, it is a tough place. Everest uh very tough especially on the north side not the south side which is easier to climb but it's a tough place to exist
1: what was the highest altitude that you you personally got to do you know
0: I think I got what I think I got to about 20 20 nearly 28,000 27,000 just literally you know on on the way to the top and the reason I didn't go to the top is that you've got to take this very responsible approach that you you've got to be almost safer and in a better state than the climbers. Do you see what I mean if you're trying to film them? Because you can't be trying to do everything they're doing. Uh, and my aim wasn't actually to climb that high. Uh, and in fact, it wasn't really insured to climb that high <laughs> either. Uh, but but we had, when I say lost, I don't mean lost in terms of dead, but we, had, we started out probably with a team of 40 and we probably had about eight left at the end. So I had to get on and climb to film.
2: I mean, Sheepers. talk about dedication to one's craft. Well, the fact that he's that close to the summit and doesn't actually do—I'd no. be putting the camera down yeah. and just I'm getting popping up, up there, there, just to say. I mean, there he is. What are we talking? A couple of hundred feet from the top. Eight hundred feet, he said. Eight hundred feet from the top, and there he is. Talk about dedicated to the craft. Amazing. I really want to check out that film.
1: I wanted to, for this last part of the interview, kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture, and the information age that you know. When did that even start? Probably with the internet, right? Yeah, absolutely. And of course now, in the last few years, probably the the misinformation age. Yeah. As, as President Obama said, truth decay. You mm-hmm. know, the fact that there is so much misinformation out there. What impact had that had on the kind of art of storytelling and, and also the importance of maintaining its integrity? And Anthony had this to say.
0: One of the interesting things is that I'm concerned that actually since you know the craft I was very lucky enough to learn at the BBC and beyond is storytelling and what I'm worried today is with the YouTube mentality not I'm criticising YouTube there's lots of good things about it but it's a very lazy form of storytelling you know it's not really storytelling so we're losing the art of storytelling at the very moment where we need to have better storytelling because we've got this opportunity on these new platforms to not if you imagine if if I'm in a space let's say I'm in a normal space, I'm telling it's a linear story, then, you know, close up wide shot and the story continues. Imagine when you're in a virtual reality space or an AR space, you, you, you might trigger the story in a different direction by sound of looking behind you. So, so there's a whole different way. And that's what I teach now at NYUAD AD and other universities now is about how you forget the storytelling that you thought you knew and really start learning to tell stories for the new immersive era. As for the whole idea of, of falsification, I think that needs to be corrected by having platforms that you go to and you trust because there's no other way of doing that. You know, I've always thought that in a way the web is, is, is a garbage site. You know, it, it, how do I know what's out there? How do I know what's real? I think you're going to see portals popping up, which is where you and I might want to go to a portal, but we trust what's in that space because people could manipulate things in such terrible ways now. It's frightening.
2: Yeah, the kids are today, Rob.
1: Yeah. Lucky so and so. Yeah, very spoiled, I must admit. Right, just on to this last clip now. The future. What does it actually look like for us in practical terms? terms. I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around this.
0: (laughs) Where I really think it's going to take off is a simple headset, which will be coming in a few years' time, which is an AR headset or has mixed reality, and is actually exactly what we're about to release in this new app. But At the moment, you view it through your phone, but in a couple of years' time, you'll be viewing it through a headset. And, but I think you can get a flavor of it by, by downloading this app and other apps like it and, and seeing that you're in the whole world. I mean, you literally can move in and around your desk and interact with it. You, you, you can choose which journey you want to go on. That is a taste of the future. And that, to me, as a storyteller, is really exciting.
1: And that's what, two to three years away, Anthony, you think? Or is it even sooner than that?
0: I would say it's two to three years away what, what we get on the beginning rung. If you remember when the smartphone arrived, it was quite basic. But you could see what was happening. So the first generation of that will be coming in two to three years. And we need to start planning for it now. There are ways of planning for it now because we can start to use experiences through the phone and the tablet. But it won't be long. And and the way, the way things are going, it could be more like two years because there's there's a real push from the technology people to get this technology out there. What I'm saying to them is, yes, but when you launch it, you've got to have some absolutely amazing stories on it so people can get how good it is. So we're now collaborating with those manufacturers around the world to make sure when it comes out that you think, gosh, I want one of those headsets and look what it can do for me.
1: It is uh, yeah, thought provoking stuff, no doubt it really about is. it. And uh, definitely part of what has become, I guess, a nearer future
2: than it might have been just a few years ago. Yeah, it's been accelerated, as he said. The pandemic has absolutely accelerated that. The Facebooks, the Apples with people like Anthony, they're looking at ways in which, essentially, what are they looking at? They're looking for ways to keep us on their platforms longer in the future. It's a scary one in one hand for us traditionalists, for us that don't really like change, but on the other hand, my goodness, to be a kid and what the future holds for storytelling and and that immersive experience It's an enthralling one as well. Yeah, I'm certainly going to check out The Wildest Dream, Conquest of Everest. that's the one. I want to see that. The fact that he was within, what, 800 feet of the summit, was there on the death zone for months to create this film means that it's an absolute must.
1: Thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and give us a review. This podcast was presented by Chris McCarty, Sonal Rupani
2: and Robbie Greenfield and produced by Tom Paul Smith. We hope you join us next time on The Big Interview.